You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to the book of Matthew. That's where we're starting out this morning, being Matthew chapter 5, and we're covering verse 6. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now we're preaching through this uh, kind of opening, this kind of introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, because as as we talked about uh, recently as a a kind of of, of preaching team here, we're we're saying, hey, the Sermon on the Mount is very important, but the, these beatitudes, the things that introduce the Sermon on the Mount, they kind of get glossed over, so it's, it's important that we hit these hard, because this is Jesus' opening to one of the greatest sermons ever. So, uh, Pastor Jeff sent this out to all of us that are preaching this series, and, and as I looked at the list, I was like, man, all right, that one, that one, and this one sounds cool, you know, thirsting and hungering for righteousness. All right, I can handle that one. I can do that one. Uh, I'll choose that one. I'm going to do, do that one. <laughs> so, uh, and, and look, okay, I know y'all, y'all have heard me preach before, and y'all have heard me, a lot of my students have heard me teach before, and a lot of times what I do in my openings, okay, I pull from movies, I pull from comic books, I pull from superheroes, and, they, and a lot of people ask me, hey, do you have anything else that you pull from? Uh, yes, I do. But uh, today, okay, today, uh, I'm just saying, th- th- this is a natural thing that happened. I was sitting there, and I was writing up this lesson, and I was praying through it, and, and this, this scene hit my mind of, of, of one of my favorite movies, okay? This scene hit my mind, okay? Who here has seen Batman Begins? Anyone seen Batman Begins before? Okay. If you haven't, you should. Okay, it's classic. So, I'm going to paint this picture for you. In this kind of scene towards the end, kind of towards the climax, uh, you have this villain, okay? This villain's name is Ra's al Ghul, okay? And he's out there, he's trying to spread panic and fear across the entire city of Gotham and trying to destroy it. Well, Batman, Batman's like, no, you know, he's the one standing for, standing for the right. He's the one standing for justice. And he's going he's to go in there and try and stop this guy who trained him, right? He's kind of stabbing him in the back. He's like, no, I'm going to stop this. So he's out there trying to save the day. Well, while, while he's out there, right, while he's trying to save the day, uh, he comes across a little kid, and this little kid is being surrounded by kind of bad guys type deal, and, and the girl of his dreams, right, is also there protect, protect, protecting this kid. And so Batman swoops down, beats the bad guys, and picks up both the kid and the girl, and they go up to this, this rooftop where he leaves them there for safety. Okay, and he, he says, hey, you're okay, and he goes, and he goes to jump off the building, and she's like, wait, stop. Okay, you, you might die, okay? You're, you can go out there and you're giving your life to this fight. You might die. Would, wouldn't you just let us know who you are so we can, we can know who, who saved us? And he turns around to her and he says this line, okay? He says this quote from this movie that uh, has been said several times throughout the movie, okay? It's been said by her to actually him as Bruce Wayne because Batman's Bruce Wayne, okay? So it's been said back and forth to them. So he turns to her and he says, he says this line. He says, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. 
when he says that, he kind of like kind of smiles a little bit, but he jumps off the building and glides away. And the girl's like, oh, is that, is that Bruce? Because she, she figures out who he is. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Man, that's, a, that's a good line, right? Like, isn't, isn't that a good line? Like, is, is, that, is that right? And I mean, in, in my kind of analysis of it, yes and no. Okay, yes, yes and no. Okay, no, because it's important for us to remember that we are defined as children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ and marked within by the Holy Spirit. So who we are underneath, who we are marked by the Holy Spirit, marked by our faith in Jesus Christ is very important. Okay, that does define you in the eyes of God. But it's also, yes, because we still live in this broken world and how you live out your faith, how you're an example of Jesus will define you and will define your faith to those around you. And the actions speak louder than words. This is, this is the righteousness that Jesus is urging us to hunger and thirst for right here in this verse. When he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Father God, as we get into these, this verse here, as we get into what it means uh, about righteousness and righteous living, I pray that your Holy Spirit is speaking through me and that the people here have their hearts and their ears open to your word. Praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, you, ha you, have that, you have that line by Batman, and, and you have this, this verse here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And you're like, but what is, what is righteousness? What is this righteousness that he's talking about? Because I, I've heard a couple different places about righteousness. And so, let's define it. First, you have righteousness, the quality of being morally right and justifiable. Okay? The quality of being morally right and justifiable. Right? So, so, we're, so we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that, that righteous, righteousness means God's approval or being considered right in his eyes. Seen as justified in the eyes of God. Right? When God sees you, he approves of you because you are a bearer of his righteousness. Right? You are justified in his sight. And that's what we call when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are justified. That is your justification of your faith. Right there, you are marked with his righteousness. Okay, but how we gain this righteousness? Well, first, it's, it's not earned. We get it through exchange, right? Because Jesus takes our sins, he actually becomes our sins, so that we could be given righteousness. Right? It's not bought, because we can't afford it. You know, if God required us to pay for our righteousness, we could not afford it. So it's a good thing he does not require that, but the blood of Jesus has already paid for it. The blood of Jesus is the price for our righteousness. And this righteousness, right, this you being seen justified in the eyes of God is not temporary. It is eternal. Right? You know, we, will, we will stumble in our old flesh. We'll, we'll still uh, not do the right thing every day. But we cannot lose this righteousness. We cannot lose this, and it is never going away. You're never being taken out of the hand of God. No matter what someone tells you about if you stumble and you fall, you will not lose this justification. You will not lose this righteousness. It is eternal. 
So that's, that's that righteousness. But the righteousness that Jesus is talking about is the righteousness, the way we live morally and become more like Christ in a broken and sinful world. Right? Becoming more like him, becoming more sanctified, being called sanctification, right? Become more like Jesus every day. When you live morally, you're living for righteousness. Right? The, this whole introduction to the Sermon on the Mount um, that, we're, that we're focusing on, Jesus is laying the groundwork. Okay? He's laying the groundwork for his disciples. Now, there are still many people listening to this opening to the sermon, but he is really preaching to his disciples. They're hitting it hard here at the beginning. Like this, this is groundwork for the disciples, and for honestly, for, the, for, the, for his future church, the disciples will help grow right, to be prepared to what we call come down from mountaintops. Because right, we know throughout Scripture, and we, we've, we've taught on this recently in different, different places, but a lot of times people, God's people come up on mountaintops because that, that's the, those are those kind of spiritual highs, right? Whenever we're gathered here together and worship and we're singing and we're praying and we see baby dedications and baptisms in the first service, and, and, and we just feel, right, the, just this uh, massive movement of God. We feel the Holy Spirit moving. Yeah, like, but when, when we leave here, right, we come down from the mountain and we come back in the culture around us. Scripturally, like, that's when Peter went up with Jesus up to the top of the mountain, right? And he saw Jesus just transfigure and become just shining with the glory of God, right? He didn't want to come down from there. He wanted to build altars. But Jesus is like, no, we're, we're going back down. You're taking what you've seen here back down. So he, he's kind of preparing them for, what, for what's coming. Now, think of the topics that Jesus hits on as he's preaching somewhere on the mount. Uh, trying to hide his light, right? Trying to, and, and losing your saltiness. Anger, lust, divorce, keeping oaths. Uh, retaliate, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, judging others. How to pray. What's the reason for fasting? Laying up treasures in the right place. Not to be anxious. Bearing fruit. Uh, building your house on the right foundation. All, all things that go into how we live righteously towards others and towards our relationship with God. Why, why did Jesus focus on righteous living? How should we be showing in our actions and life that we are being molded, chiseled, and being, more, being made to look and be more like Jesus, the Son of God? Well, Jesus was teaching this and to help us not follow the footsteps of a certain group of people that were there in the crowd. Certain, certain people in the crowd there, known as Pharisees, or the religious leaders of their day. Right? The religious leaders of their time had turned what should be outward actions into showing the, the grace and love of God, right, and being inviting those people around that don't have faith in God to say, hey, I want to be like that because I want to see God like they see God. They turn those outward actions into more of a public popularity contest. You can see this all throughout the introduction the body of the Sermon on the Mount. <coughs> Many times in the sermon he says, you have heard it said. So he's kind of referencing to what the Pharisees have already taught and what the Pharisees have already said to the people as he's preaching. But then he gets a little bit more closer to home. 
Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Okay, so don't practice living for God just so you can get praise and, wor- and glory from other people saying, hey, you are a godly God, man, you are awesome. Yeah, that's right, I know I am, thank you. I, uh, no. Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Well, who's praying in the synagogues other than the Pharisees? Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, Matthew seven fifteen. Okay. So, I mean, he could be talking about other kind of people that are in synagogues and whatnot. Okay, hypocrites. Hypocrites, Pharisees? No, we're not hypocrites. Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. That was a bold statement by Jesus. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees. Well, there again, he, he, he's not talking about the righteousness that we're, that we're justified through our faith, okay? That, 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 is, that, is for, that is for everybody, okay? You are sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But what he's talking about here is how you live it out, and how you show others that you're a follower of Jesus, and how you lead others to see their need for Jesus, and how you see, to find their need for living for righteousness. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, because he knows these dudes are not living for righteousness. These dudes are not doing what they should be doing. A lot of times what they're doing uh, calls into question their actual righteousness. Living for righteousness is not sitting back in comfort of the mountaintop or church. It means going out into this broken world and living out your faith in Jesus by basing your thoughts, actions, and words on the morality and truth of God's word. But we, we, started, we started watching and discussing the, the Chosen in our youth group. We started, started last week with episode one. Um, and honestly, like that, the, sh- the show is, is fantastic. The first episode, you're introduced to Nicodemus. Okay? Many of you might know Nicodemus from uh, the, the interaction of John 3 and the whole John 3.16. That's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He's a high-up Pharisee, right? A lot of power, a lot of wealth. Um, a lot of uh, sway in the Jewish community, right? And even the Roman community come to him and say, hey, can you talk to your Jewish people? Okay, he, yeah, he, he is well connected. But he's called in by the Roman people because they're, they're, they're having like an uprising uh, or kind of like a hard time in this like lowly area of the community. There's a lady there that claims to be possessed by demons and she's causing all kinds of ruckus. Well, you see Nicodemus and two of his other kind of Pharisee lackeys behind him walking through this rough neighborhood, and you see them just like, hmm, they're coughing, oh, they're hungry, they're selling people, oh, what, what, what is happening here? Like, you, you see him have that kind of higher and mighty kind of viewpoint other than, man, how can, how can I help? How can I serve here? How can I lead these people to a place that has support? But you just see a face of judgment upon him. Then they come to the house of the lady with the demon in her. And he goes in there. 
And he starts calling out all the names that he knows, all the names from the Old Testament, all the names from the Old Testament scholars and things. He calls out all the angels, right? He calls out all the archangels. He calls upon the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Come out of her. The last name he calls upon is God. The last name. And the demons are like, you have no power here. We're not scared of you. And this shook Nicodemus. The, the imagery on his face, he goes home. Now he's at home, and he's just like down. His wife comes in. What's the matter? I failed today. I failed today. This, this lady with demons, and I caught upon I did all things that I knew, and I failed. And they mocked. And he says this. He, he takes... He, he, he's kind of questioning all the Pharisees are teaching, all the Pharisees are doing at that day. He takes his wife over to this mirror, okay? And their mirror uh, is not like ours today. It's very kind of, uh, kind of unclear. But there's still, there's still a kind of a basic reflection. He says, what if the unclarity of this mirror is like our understanding of God? What if we are missing the big picture of our faith? What if we're missing the point? What if all this is just like a charade, 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 and, and, and we're just going through the actions, just going through the motions? His wife, you see folding clothes, you see, you know, getting ready for this big party, this big celebration that they're going to celebrate the coming of Nicodemus, right? She says straight to him, stop this blasphemy. You shouldn't have been there in the first place. A Pharisee, a, father, a, a leader in the worship of God, and a, a leader in what it means to be a righteous living for God, shouldn't have been there where the enemy is rampant and should be spreading the word of God through his actions and through his words. Shouldn't have been there. And then you see, you see him start making excuses in his head. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have been there. Yeah, no, you're right. You actually see him in the front of other kind of Pharisees and other scribes in the church, uh, in the synagogue saying, yeah, I shouldn't have been there. Someone like me who's been righteous all my life and someone like her that's been in sin all of her life, there's really no hope for some people. It's like, what? Boy, that's, that was the mindset of a lot of the people, a lot of religious leaders. And honestly, for us today, even though this part of the show was not right out of the Bible, it was full of that truth that we need to hear and see. How many of us in, are in danger of becoming comfortable and having our faith to be just a mask? Right? And, and just, just, just a show we put on for the public, just like the Pharisees. You come in here on Sundays, you get your handshakes, oh, hey, good to see you here. You're here every Sunday, here every Wednesday. Hey, great, awesome, you're a great follower of Jesus. I know. I give up my Sunday, I give, I give up my time to be here. Yes. Or is there, uh, is there a way for us to redirect and truly live out our righteousness? Is, is there a way to, to rekindle our striving to be more like Jesus, for us to be, like he says right here, who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yes. Right? We need to stir up our hunger. We need to stir up our thirst for living out the righteousness of Jesus. 
So that's, that's the righteousness that he's talking about, okay? That, that righteousness, how you live, how you're living out your faith, how you're living out your, your following of Jesus Christ, right? But, but how do we hunger? How do we thirst for righteousness? Right? One, we, we need a passionate desire to see all things, all things be lived in line with God's will. Not just part of our lives, not just this thing over here, not just what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays or whatever. All things should be lived in line with God's will. Now, this, this, this is an extreme call to pursue conformity to God's will. This is, this is, this is an extreme call to that. Right? And, and how do we know Jesus is being extreme with his terms, hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, for us today, it might be hard for us to kind of grasp the weight of that, the weight of what he means by hungering and thirsting, right? Uh, it may be difficult to understand because today when we're thirsty, we just go, uh, you know, we've we got tons of coolers out there. We've got refrigerators. Go home, open up, get one of your favorite drinks. Uh, for me, it's the carbonated flavored water from Walmart Ice. You know, it's carbonated, it's caffeinated, it's blueberry. Mm. Now I'm thirsty right now for that right now. Or, or if we're hungry, right, where do you go? Well, we can go to McDonald's right down the road. We can go to Burger King. Uh, you can go to McDonald's right down the road. Um, or, or you can go to your pantry, right? You go to your pantry, you just open it up, and you got tons of snacks. I mean, I, okay. I'm being honest here, when I go to my mom's house and visit and take my kids there, she spoils the grandkids, but she spoiled me first, okay? And she still does, okay? I love my mama, okay? But whenever I go there, she always give us, gives us a, some, some kind of new snack, some kind of new food that she finds at Sam's Club. She's always at Sam's Club, and she finds something. Ah, oh, you know, the boy would like that, and she picks it up, and she has it for, for me when I go to visit her. Well, when you know it, me and my wife are trying to eat healthier, trying to trying to lose some weight. But we go to Graham's house, and that's that's not going to happen that weekend. We go there, and she pulls out this box and puts it on the counter. She's like, "This is for you." Okay, it was Boston cream filled pop tarts, mm, chocolate covered Boston cream filled Pop-Tarts. Now, I love a good Boston cream donut, so I saw that, I'm like, yes, please, okay? And honestly, you ask yourself, does the world need that? Probably not, but did I destroy that box of Pop-Tarts? Yes, I did, okay? It was delicious, okay? It was, it was amazing. But you, th you put your shoes in, someone back in Jesus' time, it's not as easy as going and opening up the refrigerator and getting your favorite drink or going to the pantry and getting your favorite snack. Okay, for, for them in that kind of the ancient Palestinian time frame here, it was, it was a very vivid and alive because he was, they, they were never far from the possibility of dehydration or starvation. Well, one, the well runs dry. Oh, you got to go find another one or dig another one up. No fish. Okay, well, we, we got to go find something to eat. Okay, and, and it's well known to have famines and droughts and things, and so the whole idea of being in thirst and hunger, he was hitting home for these people. Right? Jesus is not saying that we should just have a small hankering for something sweet or salty to satisfy a small craving. He's recommending us to be in a state of starvation for righteousness. Right, the, the hunger and thirst is ongoing, right? Because honestly, I, I buy one of those drinks from Walmart. I buy like, you know, kind of 14 of them at a time because I open one. I'm like, man, I want to go back for another one. I want to go back for another one. Or, or those Pop-Tarts, sad to say, I, I ate one. I'm like, oh, that was delicious. It's good. It satisfied me. About 10 minutes later, 
I don't have, I'm going to have another one, just, just another one, because I'm, like, I'm so kind of hungry, and those things are so good, right? It's ongoing, right? And so it's like when we experience the righteousness of God, and you live it out, you experience it, you taste it, you drink of it, you're like, man, that was, that was awesome. Going out and praying and seeing someone change, seeing someone baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, seeing these things happen, I want to do that more. I want to get out there and keep doing it. The thirst of living out righteousness and the hunger is ongoing. Even King David, King David, he wrote some of the most uplifting psalms ever. He also wrote some of the most depressing psalms ever. He said this uh, at the same time he wrote of his continual hunger and thirst. Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. That is what it should be like for a healthy believer, Jesus Christ. We should always be hungry or thirsty because we cannot get enough of God and enough of his righteousness. Now there again, I point out how extreme this hunger and thirst should be in us will either scare you away or draw you in. Being upfront about that. This statement of G about Jesus is sadly going to be hard for many Christians or Christ followers to hear today. Because the call to hunger and thirst for righteousness rules out the half-hearted, self-satisfying, and comfortable religion. Now, this, 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 may, this may lead many to remember of the first time when we heard the call of Jesus Christ. You heard him knocking at your heart when you heard a ver verse, when you heard someone preaching, when you saw something in, in, in a Christian-based film, whatever it was. You saw something, and you heard Jesus Christ saying, hey, I am here. Believe in me. And then maybe that night you talked to your parents, you talked to your friends, you talked to a preacher, and then you prayed right then and there, and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and then you are marked by the righteousness. You are marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. You get the Holy Spirit within you. And then, man, you know what? I remember when I was seven, I did that. I went to school, and I was like, man, I, I gave my life to Christ yesterday. And I had three or four of my friends from my church there in my class. I'm like, that is awesome. And we talked about it. And we had, we had the whole WWJD. We had all those kind of things. We were, we were excited about our faith. But time, maybe lost opportunities, sickness, job loss, or maybe seeing as you're growing up, it's not the popular thing or the easy thing to live out your faith in Jesus. And maybe you went through some mockery. Maybe you were outcasted. It's dulled your desire for growing your relationship with Jesus and living out the righteousness of your faith. Now you're fully okay and content with living a life with limited and low devotion. To the righteousness of God. However, my hope and prayer is that you have not forgotten that joy, you've not forgotten that excitement, you've not forgotten that love that you received when you first gave your life to Jesus, and that these words by Jesus, the, the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, they are blessed. I hope that these words by Jesus still stir something within you. 
listen, listen to that stirring inside you. Heed the call of the Holy Spirit that's within you saying, I, I am here. We, I'm still here. I'm still guiding you. I'm still trying to help you. I'm still speaking. I'm still bringing people to you. Please listen. I am here. There's, there's still time to turn back and live for righteousness. You can still be restored today to be what you were meant to be. You can align your actions, words, and thoughts with the the righteous morality of the Word of God today and strive to be like Jesus today. Don't be like the Pharisees and other religious leaders who Jesus is speaking against. They enjoyed their comfort. They enjoyed their power. They enjoyed their popularity. Right? Instead of humbling themselves to recognize that they themselves were not living out the righteousness of God. Right, their, their thirst and hunger for righteousness had dulled, had dwindled, and they were not heeding the call to get back on the right track. They saw Jesus fulfilling the law, right? They, they saw Jesus living out all they had dedicated their lives to. You know, they, they should have been the first ones to recognize. They should have been the first ones to have their, their, their heads bowed, their knees bent down at the feet of Jesus. They should have been the first ones, but instead they see him fulfilling the law of God, fulfilling all they had devoted their life to, and they refused it. They spat it back out on his face, and they basically said, hey, I want to kill you. But people who are truly hungering and thirsting for this righteousness, they know Jesus. Jesus is saying that the spiritual are starving to be, to be blessed and approved. Those who are truly hungry and thirsty, they know Jesus, and he is the only one that can bring this true satisfaction he's talking about here. <clears throat> I found this quote in this commentary that I read this, this week. It says this. Concern for righteous living is on the decline in the evangelical church. Many watch more, more murders and adulteries on television in one week than their grandparents read in, in, a li- in about a lifetime <clears throat> with no twinge of conscience. The pollsters tell us the ethical gap is narrowing between the church and the world. Many evangelicals are no more concerned about the unrighteous plight of the world than their non-Christian neighbors. Some professing evangelicals would regard a desperate longing for righteousness as odd, even fanatical. What they're saying is probably many people who call themselves as Christians or Christ followers or good churchgoers are being more and more conformed to the ways of the world and the ways of thinking. Right? Uh, instead of saying, hey, yes, I, I want to be hungry. I want to be starving. I want to be thirsting to live out righteousness. I want to go out there. I want to experience praying over somebody and see them change. And I want to go out there and keep doing it and keep doing it. Instead, people in the church are saying, that's, that's too crazy. That's, that's too much. I, I wouldn't look too odd to the world around me. I, I would probably be outcasted. I might get fired. I might lose friends. It, it's just too fanatical. Hmm. Trying to sound more like those Pharisees back in the day. <clears throat> if there's no hunger or thirst in you to live out your faith in Christ, no longing or desire for the righteousness, for the morality of his word to be shown through your life, 
I would say it's time for a long, hard look in the spiritual mirror. Look, we, we each know what is in our own hearts. And, it, and if we are really striving for that righteousness and truly living for that righteousness, are we going to be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord and come to the realization that we need to realign, to redirect, to bring back our hunger and thirst for living out the righteousness of God, of being seen as more like Jesus in the way he was thinking, the way he was acting, the way he aligned himself with the will of God. Are we going to do that and be honest with ourselves? So that's what it means to have that hunger and thirst. But what does that look like? What could it look like? Well, Jesus gives us a, a good look at what it, can, what, that, what it can look like to have that hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, but also a, a warning of what it could look like to lose that hunger and, and thirst. Uh, turn with me to, to Luke chapter 15. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, many of you might know this uh, parable that Jesus gives. Chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 11. Verse 11. <clears throat> it says this. And he, Jesus, said, There is a man who had two sons. And the younger, younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So kind of just to premise the story, right, you, you have a father, two sons. Right? And as far as, as far as we know, they're doing what sons should do. They're listening to the Father. They're living under the Father. The Father is providing. It's all good. But then a day comes when the younger son comes to the Father and says, Hey, give me what's coming to me. And instead of waiting until you die, until, until it's time for you to pass it on, I want it now. Very disrespectful. Very, very, very harsh. But the Father says, Okay. Here it is. And he divided up between the two sons. It says that he divided the property between them. All right? So we don't know what the other son's going to do with it, but we know what this younger son's going to do with it. Okay? It says this, that he went to, to a, a journey to a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent uh, everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. It was longing to be fed with the paws that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So here you have the, the first son, right? Uh, not the first one, you have the younger son, but the one that we know pretty well. The, the prodigal son. The one that started off well, went off on journey, and he squandered away, right? And, and we know, as it says in different translations, uh, you know, reckless living, wild living, foolish living, uh, prodigal living, or even undisciplined and dissipated. Okay. And we, we, he, he did things that he should not have done, probably dealing with anything from drinking, gambling, uh, prostitution, to bad investments, to, uh, you know, those kind of friends that want to, take advantage of the money you have, you know, paying for all the food, parties, all that kind of stuff. But this is the point where he, he had nothing. All the gifts that his father gave him, the blessing that his father gave him, he squandered away. And when a famine came on the, on, on the land, 
right? And when the famine comes, I mean, there's a, sh- a food shortage. What, what do people in the markets do? They raise their prices. He has no money. He can't afford it. He can't afford to live. So, hey, let's, let's go out and let's, uh, let's, let's get a job. And people throw him out to the pigs. Some, one of the most unclean animals. Throw them out to the pigs. Take care of the pigs. There's no more handouts. All these friends that he had when he had the money or people around him that he squandered the money with, they weren't there. Everything he did with it, it, it was a waste. So we got to the point to where he wanted to eat the pods the pigs were eating, and the pods were not healthy for people to eat. But he's like, I'm that desperate. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that kind of hungry. I'm that kind of like needing of something. I know I need something. Man, I want you to know that there's many people out there today that have that same mindset. They're, they're, they're on the edge. Like, I know there's something. There's, there's something that I need. There's something out there that can fulfill me that I can turn back to, but they're just not able to make the step the son makes here. Because verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. No longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. He comes to himself and he says, why have I not come back to this realization? Like, I started out in good favor with my father. My father was always loving. My father gave me what I needed. My, my father protected me. My, my father provided yeah, I chose to run away. I chose to squander the gifts that he gave me. I chose to go out there and turn away from the righteousness that I had under him, the guidance that I had under him. But he came to that realization. He's like, man, I look back, and I had it. I had what I needed. I had all that I needed under my father. I'm going to go back to the father. Right? And, and, and not just go back and say, hey, your son's back. Give me, give me back what all that I squandered, right? No, he realized I messed up. I have messed up, and I need to be in that repentant heart. And they come to him and say, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven, and I don't, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. But please treat me like one of your hired servants, because even your hired servants that work on your property, they're provided, they're protected. They're giving love. They're giving mercy. All this, all this that, you, that you gave everybody, you give to them. Please, just bring that back to me. Okay. Well, he goes back, and he's about halfway down the road, and his father is watching for him. The father is watching for him to come. So you have the son going. father sees him, meets him halfway, and he does what he says he does. What, what, what is he going to do? He, he, he said, Father, um, verse, uh, verse 18, I will rise with my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. No longer will they be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So before he even said anything, his father embraced him and kissed him. He said, Father, I have sinned against you, heaven, and before you. I am no longer willing to be called your son. So, so he, he, got, he got the repentance out there. He said, hey, I, 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 am, I have messed up. I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy of this God. Or, or Father, well, the Father's representative of, of God here, but he says, I'm no longer worthy. But you know, the Father accepted that repentant heart. 
The father, father knew, even on his way back, the father knew what was in the heart of the son, right? Because the father came out and ran up, embraced him, and kissed him. And as soon as the son says this right here, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I have sinned against you. He didn't get any further in his whole speech. But the father said, the father said hey, somebody go get the finest robes. Get jewels. Get shoes. Let's put it on my son. Go get the fat calf. Let's, let's, let's kill it. Let's have a barbecue here. Let's have a good time because my son was dead, but now he's alive. He has come back. He has come back into the fold. He's come back into living and seeking the righteousness, the things that I have to offer and give him and guide him with. He has come back. And there was, there was much rejoicing. There was, there was happiness. The son started off in good standing, chose to run away, chose to squander and live unrighteously, but then came to himself and saw his need for Jesus, came, saw his need for the Father again, and, and saw his need for living for righteousness and came running back. But that's not where the story ends. That's where a lot of times people stop reading the story. That's not where the story ends. It says this in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come to your father. Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, that your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So you have, you have, you have the son that stayed, right? And, and this, this son is the one that stayed after, he was, after the, the whole property, the whole inheritance was divided between them. He stayed, and he was, still, he was even working in the field. Then he heard a party going on, right? He could probably smell the cooking of the, uh, uh, of the, the steak and all that kind of good stuff. He's like... Man, and here's the, here's the music and the partying. But he refused to go into celebration on his brother's return, right? And the father even came out to actually entreat him and, and request for him to come in. Please come in and celebrate your brother, for he's come back to us. He's come back to righteousness. But he turned everything, this, this other son turned everything in this conversation to be focused on him and not on the joy of the return of his brother. He says, I, I've always been here. I've never disobeyed. Right? He was the one that threw all the money away. Father, you have never given me even a goat to celebrate with my friends. But the, father, the father responds with, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it is important that we celebrate your brother now. He was dead and is now alive. But the, the father is basically telling the son, you don't have because you don't ask. What is mine is yours. But you, you don't ask. Right? It's important to celebrate the victories of someone stumbling and, lo and, and losing, losing their, 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 their 
taste and their thirst for righteousness and their hunger, right? But to see someone come back and see that need and, and fulfilling it and return to live out that righteousness, we need to celebrate that, son. You should, you should have been up front with me. You should have been actually looking for your brother with me on the road. But you're out here on the, in this field trying to work and, and, and please me? Instead of saying we should be looking for those that are lost and can come back to us? This son was representing the Pharisees that saw themselves as holier than thou. More, impor- more important than the common person because they followed the law of God perfectly. For which they were just kidding themselves because they were, they were nowhere close to living out the, the Old Testament law perfectly. But they would rather see people continue in their suffering and sinful living if it meant that they got attention on how righteous it looked the way they were living. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's forget them over there. They're hurting and suffering. They're lost in our sin. But I'm over here, and I'm being praised for how I'm living. Let's stay here. Hmm. They should have been front row dancing, praising, and welcoming those who are lost in, in their sinfulness and then recognize their hunger and thirst for God and return to live for true righteousness and living out morality through the word of Jesus. But yeah, they were comfortable and content and living in their religion. They had lost the hunger and thirst for true, righteous living. So when we see what righteousness is, and we see what the righteousness that we're talking about, and, and we see kind of what it means to have that thirst and hunger, and we see an example here of what it can look like to have that thirst, but all, and thir- that thirst and hunger, but also lose it and miss the point altogether. And the question is, honestly, when you look at this, which, which son are you? Are, are you continuing to thirst and hunger to live for, for God's righteousness? Or are you struggling to feel, or sadly not feel at all, the need to live for the righteousness of God? But I pray and I urge you that you not become another number in the statistic of so-called Christians or, or, or Jesus followers that are getting further and further away what it means to live out the righteousness of God in a sinful world around us. I was up here yesterday, and I, I did the um, charge to the graduates for uh, the classical, classical conversations uh, homeschool group. I was up here. I have five of them. Last thing I told them, well, y'all, it's going to get harder and harder to live out your faith and live for the morality of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And you know what? It's not going to be the most convenient thing. More than not, it's the most inconvenient thing. That's going to get more and more and more like that. But we should not fear. We should not be afraid to live out that righteousness. Because why? Because Jesus Christ himself told us the world's going to hate us because they hated him first. But yeah, we should not have fear because guess what? He has overcome the world. Because he has overcome the world and defeated the world, we can overcome it as well. And we can share in his full righteousness in heaven. But while we're here on this earth, we need to live to look more like him every day. Don't become lost to the sinful world, not to, not to forget that you can turn back to him. And don't fall into the religion of the Pharisees that only lived it out for the attention and power. Don't wait another day, another hour. 
Turn to the Lord and open your spiritual eyes to your need for the righteousness given to us through our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, but also for the, the hunger, the thirst, the drive, the desire, the need to live out the righteousness, the righteous living, the morality living of God that comes through that saving faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.